question. Get started. I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with New Radio Media. And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to call the show, you can reach us at 844-999-9249 or you can e- email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. So the weather has been all over the place. I don't know, freezing cold, ice on the roads, going late to school, now in the 40s. All I know is I need a lot of snow by next week. But we'll have to get into that maybe later on, why snow is so important when everybody wants to go to Florida now. But more important is we have a special in-house guest today. Um, We've known each other for a couple years already. Um, He lives about 20 minutes from here, I believe. Um, His name is Chesky Finkelstein. Future, well, I was going to say social worker, but no, he is a counselor with uh, all these fancy letters after his name. And he's come down today. We're going to talk about the Torah portion, talk about counseling, hopefully learn a lot of good stuff. Chesky, how are you today? Well, I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. I am here to learn. I hope you're also going to learn. We'll I'm here see. here to learn, yeah. Very exciting to be here. Very exciting. Yes, Baruch Shem. So let me ask you, before we get rolling, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I don't think you're a, a born Detroiter. I'm not a born Detroiter. I'm from Baltimore, uh, as is my wife. Moved out here to join a yeshiva that's out here in West Bloomfield. And in fact, I live three minutes from here. Oh, you're in very West close to here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm a professional counselor. So I have a, an LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor degree. And uh, so I work in the Yeshiva High School doing mixed counseling, mentoring, learning with the boys during the morning and the nighttime. In the afternoon, I have a private practice out in Southfield and catering to children, families, some adults, and various issues. So we had in the summer, as a teacher, they always try to bring people in to talk to us. There was a big, I don't know, psychiatrist, psychologist, I don't know what all the words mean, but he came in, it was, he had a very interesting thought. He said that when you're dealing with children, he said a lot of times it's not just the children, it's really the family. We start with the children, but we have to bring the family in. Do you find that to be true? I do find that to be true, and it's interesting. You know, sometimes the child will start out in therapy, and then it ends up being that I'll switch the parents over to be in therapy, and the child will go home. Uh, everyone can use it, you know, in the family. Um, but yeah, the family dynamic, you know, affects everyone in the family altogether. And there's always something someone in the family can do to help out whatever issue you're seeing. Cool. Very good. Okay. So I guess, the, I mean, I'm not doubting he was some big, uh, I don't know, professor. I don't know what he was. I can't remember his name, but that was like one thing I came away with that as a teacher, when we deal with children and we want them to go into therapy, we know ourselves that it's the parents that are part of the issue. It just reminds me, I, on LinkedIn, somebody sent out one of these, uh, I guess you call it mimes? Memes? Me- mimes? 
I think it's memes. Memes. <laughs> I'm also out of okay, it. Okay, everybody goes memes. And he talked about, and it's a very important lesson, by the way. It's a Torah lesson. Uh, talk about uh, that children learn from what they see, not from what they're told. But actually, that line bothered me. And as we find it, for example, um, there was a a famous, you know, Shimshon, right? Samson, the the mighty one. So his parents also couldn't drink wine and had to act like a like a nazir because otherwise the child um, would say, "How come I'm one way and you're another way?" So therefore, there's a lesson there that we the parents, whatever they want from the child, they should be doing the same. At the same time, it troubled me a little bit. Because it's true, children will learn what they see. At the same time, there are children that have a lot of their own issues, uh, and it may not be the parents' fault. They may be acting the way they're supposed to act, but this child has things that the parents don't know how to deal with, and it becomes an unfair statement to say, well, if you would be acting properly, your child, like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know what I mean? Right. And it's certainly true that uh, some people are very quick to blame the parents for everything. And sometimes I'll have... uh, you know, parents will come in. Typically, I'll do, let's say, a few sessions with the child by himself or herself, and then the parents will come in, meet with me, and they'll say, okay, tell us how bad of parents we are, you know? And they mean it because they say, okay, it's probably us, and then the other half are, it's probably not me. Don't you tell me I'm a bad parent. But the truth is, I guess, you can always see something in the parents, but all of us parents know we rely on you know, instinct and prayer and some experience, but we never really know what to do. Right, I just so I, I just want to make make it clear. It's not a it's not fair to paint with a broad brushstroke and automatically blame the parents. Yes, your job, of course, is to help the parents deal with this child to with different uh, techniques and other things you teach them. Um, it's not. It's not that the parents are completely innocent. They may be completely innocent. But, uh, but uh, you know, each, each situation certainly is on its own, and that's what you get to deal with. But all those things we're going to get into today, I hope. But I want to talk about a few things in this week's Torah portion, some yeah. just very interesting um, things that happen. So I was talking to my class. This week's Torah portion is Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up. We are in the middle of the desert. We are... Uh, we'll keep it simple. We're by Mount Sinai. We're getting to Mount Sinai. We're getting ready to accept the Torah. Jethro shows up with Moses' wife and two children. So forgetting about how come Moses' wife and children were not with the Jewish people at the time. That's a story for another time. But I, I, I kind of wondered, like, why are they showing up now? Like, now they wake up? Like, wh- why now? What happened? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I guess it, it it comes across as though Tzipporah and the children don't have any of their own decisions. You know, Yisro comes and he's bringing the children and the wife, you know, but it's always deeper than that. He must have, you know, realized it's time now for the family to join back up with Moses. But yeah, you know, Jethro waiting that long, this is when he got his inspiration. Yeah, so the Torah does try to say what he was inspired by. He heard the Jewish people left Egypt, and then he heard the crossing of the Red, the splitting of the Red Sea. And then we find out that there's one other story in last week's Torah portion, that when the, the Amalek came to wage war, which was kind of a funny war because the Jewish people are surrounded by this cloud, so there's not too many people they can actually fight with. 
But now Jethro says, I'm ready to come. So, so there are those who say, who explain, that it's, it's like the concept of inspiration. Wow, God split the Red Sea. He's taking care of the Jewish people. I want to go join, but I'm a little busy this week. But right. probably next week, Tuesday, I looked at my calendar. It should work out a little bit better. And then Jethro sees that this nation can go to war. God just wiped out the Egyptian army. He split the waters. The Jewish people passed through. He saved them. And a month later, some nation can go to war. So that just comes to show you, goes to show you, that if you do not follow on an inspiration right away when you're inspired, you may just forget about it. It may just slowly fade away. I have a busy life. Other things are happening. I don't have time. I'll do it when it's convenient. You know, what do we say? So many good phrases. We strike when the iron is hot. We have a whole bunch of these good phrases. Do you ever find with, again, do you do more children? Do you like doing more children? or uh, I do uh, enjoy children, that's for sure. I do uh, mostly children. It seems like it's because there aren't that many therapists who do, who work with children. So, you know, that's a big population that I'll get. And, and yeah, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll talk in therapy, assuming the, the child is ready to work on the practical. So we say, I say to them, okay, so what are we doing this week? What are we planning out this week that we're going to do? And they'll make a plan, come back the next week. Oh, I didn't do any of those things. All right, so what are we planning to do this coming week? You know, and figuring out why it is that they have their feelings, but they can't get into the... Uh, emotion of it. They can't get into the practical part of it. So you were saying that, you know, Jethro, he had the inspiration and he, he did come right away? He didn't come right away because the inspiration was by the Red Sea. You know, it was when he heard about it. But a month later, when Amalek goes to fight the Jewish people, so Jethro says to himself, look what happens if I don't act on my inspiration right away. I'll just forget about it. So I better go now while I still have something, some little fire inside of me that I want to go. That's why I'm, I'm like curious when, when a counselor works with children. I know you work with high school children also. Do you, do you wait or hope for that moment when you can find something that inspires the child and say, okay, I got this and we're going to hold on to this and use it to help the child move along or, or that doesn't really work in, in with these types of children? Yeah, to be honest, it's not really, inspiration doesn't play a big role because typically inspiration, you know, will get someone started on something and then after the inspiration fades, they'll be left with a portion of that. But in therapy, it's, it's much more about trying to connect with the inner person, the real person. And we can call that sort of an inspiration when they realize something about themselves and then they're willing to act upon it. So I find that actually that can stick with them because now they know it about themselves forever. So it's not that I walk in one time, have my session, now I'm all better, and I can move <laughs> along with life. Ah, repeat business. We yeah, love. I like to say to clients, okay, I'm going to fix you by next week. Let's do it. And? Yeah, yeah that's what I figured. Okay. Yeah. So again, interesting talk about listening, by the way, which is something that I, as a counselor you must be an expert that's really the first word of the Torah portion. It says, Jethro heard. And I always explain there's, there's different words in Hebrew for listening. There's words that mean like Shema is to hear. And then there's other words that mean listen, Lahazen. There's other words. 
And there's a difference because we don't mean listening that, yeah, I'm listening to people all the time. My kids say all the time, are you listening to me? Yes, I'm listening to you. <laughs> I have my cell phone in one hand and I have a, uh, I'm studying something in the other hand and I'm writing some notes in the third hand and the child has an important message and I, I'm not paying attention. So when we talk about hearing, when we talk about listening, we're really talking about paying attention. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and Shema, you know, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Some people don't like that translation. They feel like it should be, listen, listen, O Israel, you know. Different ways to understand that, really. Or, or pay attention. Pay attention, perhaps. Is, uh, is really something that we are, uh, that we're looking for. So now you tell me all these things. I just got to get this straight in my mind. So I know social workers. I know psychologists. I know counselors. Now that uh, LPC stands for counseling, see, that was important to know what the letters stand yeah. for. What is the difference between a counselor, a social worker, and to me, psychologists, psychiatrists, I know one gives medicine, one doesn't, they work in hospitals. What's so, people have a feeling, what is the differences between these types of uh, care that children have to receive, or adults? Yeah, so I'll try to give you a basic understanding. I mean, a psychiatrist, many people realize is, you know, he gives medication, he's really a doctor. Sometimes you'll find a psychiatrist who will really talk to you, give you some time, but typically these days it's, a psychiatrist will just do medication, and that's what you're coming to him for. That's what he'll give you. Psychologists, social workers, and counselors, some professionals would be upset with me for comparing them at all, but the truth is there's a very basic similarity, meaning all of us are in the helping profession, they call it, interested in trying to understand the client, trying to use that understanding to help the client understand him or herself in turn and use that to... Uh, to, to build and to work on the challenges they're working with. So some differences you'll see is psychologists uh, are certified usually to do psychological testing. So you'll go to them if you want a diagnosis for ADHD or a diagnosis for other uh, types of disorders. Um, a social worker and counselor are more similar in the sense they don't do that much testing, sometimes here and there. But it's not so much that you want to be tested for which disorder it is. It doesn't really matter so much what it is. Insurance companies have to know, so you have to pick a name that fits the best. But we're talking about people who are having challenges. So the challenges could result in anxiety and depression and you know, low self-esteem could be a source, any sort of challenge that could be anywhere in their lives. So counselors and social workers will work on it, as psychologists will, you know, with talk therapy. There's a lot of different kinds of therapy you can do, and they all can do it. Um, social workers are also certified to work with um, some legal aspects of uh, children and families, you know, dealing with the court systems and things like that, whereas counselors will just deal with the therapy. They'll just do the talk therapy and, and kind of stick with that. So, of course, in school, we're all taught to uh, look down on the other type of profession. You know, counselors are the only ones who really know how to do therapy. You know, it's not true. A therapist, you know, has a good heart good understanding, knows how to do the, the job, they can all be successful. Cool. And so and your 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 goal is to to first listen obviously, first understand, and then you want to give them tools how to deal with whatever situation they're dealing with? Some therapists are very focused on that, that it'll be very much like a self help book, but they're kind of doing it with you, which helps a lot. You know, which is definitely a lot better than trying your own book. But um the truth is that giving the skills is not really what it's about, at least not the way I would do therapy. It's much more about 
what it is that the person, what challenge the person has that they couldn't on their own do those skills. I mean, they can look at a book and see the skills or they can think of things to do, but there's something getting in the way. There's, a, there's feelings, there's emotions, there's relationships, there's different things about themselves they don't understand. And that's a lot of what it is, that I listen to the, to the client, therapists listen to the client, and they kind of mirror back an understanding of what the client really is experiencing, and the client realizes what they're going through, realizes what they should be doing. So it really doesn't involve much advice. The client asks for a certain skill, so you, you teach the skill, but a lot of times the client will do what they decide, what they think of. It's almost like uh, whenever you try to sell somebody something or, or you want to give a boss an idea, as long as the boss is convinced that it was his idea, that's right. Yes. and it works out <laughs> quite well. It, rem- it, like, it all just reminds me of a, of a fascinating story I used to repeat it over the years. There, you probably heard this story. Um, there was a fisherman. Uh, we got to go quick on this story. Alrighty. There was a fisherman and a, and a philosopher, and they're out on a boat, and they're deep in a rowboat, and they're out in the ocean. And the philosopher says, do you appreciate art? And the fisherman says, no, I don't do art. Oh, you lost a third of your life. And he says, do you appreciate music? Nah, I don't go for music. Oh, you lost a third of your life. And then all of a sudden the boat springs a leak. A leak. And the fisherman says to the philosopher, he says, do you know how to swim? And the philosopher says, no, I do not. So the fisherman dives off the boat and says, well, you've lost your life. And I think one of the things, whether it's counselors or social workers, one of the things we're trying to work on is to help the children swim. Everything else will come later, the whys, the whos, the whats. And uh, that's certainly one of the things that Chesky does. And, oh, here comes my music. So we're getting ready for a break. So please hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. And we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Mary, the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit-chat with the man. Yeah. I fell in love with. Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Show me someone who eats quickly, and chances are I can show you someone who's overweight. Japanese researchers report that people who eat quickly until they're full are three times more likely to be overweight. The findings which appear in the British Medical Journal indicate the eating style can be just as important to your weight control as what or how much you eat. Now, dieters have been told for years to eat slowly to give your body time to register the food it's already consumed. You can help yourself and your children by making sure everyone eats slowly and in calm surroundings. Now, this may be quite a feat to achieve in a day when it's so common for people to eat while watching television which is a major no-no for anyone trying to lose weight or to control their weight. So remember that when it comes to eating, your mouth is faster than the signals that tell your brain that you've had enough. So slow down and give your body the time it needs to work properly. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Brackman.
And we're back! And I don't know where everybody is, but I'm getting different finger signals from different people. Thank you, Angel. Um, so we're back, joined by Chesky Finkelstein, LPC, counselor. We're learning counseling. We're learning Torah portion. Really, it's a big Torah portion about advice, which is really quite fascinating this week. We'll get there soon. But still, we're like still focused on the beginning of the Torah portion. The name of this Torah portion is pretty interesting because it's a person's name. The name of this week's Torah portion is Yisro or Jethro. That's the name of the Torah portion. There's only a handful of Torah portions that get names. Noah is one. Apollok is another one. Very rare. What, what's really interesting is this Torah portion is, is just amazingly important. The Ten Commandments. I have a bunch of buddies. You know, they live for the Ten Commandments. The other is 603, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take some, they'll leave some, or leave well, a lot. you want to start small, right? Yeah, they want to start small. If they understood that all 613 are wrapped into the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure if they'd be uh, so easy on that. But in any case, with the, Torah, with the Torah being given to the Jewish people in this week's Torah portion, you would imagine that the name of the Torah portion should focus on Mount Sinai, God giving the Torah something. Or at least Moshe Rabbeinu. But Even Jethro, Moshe, he gets the honor I, Yeah, being, why? Uh, you ever think about it? Yeah, it's really interesting. And you see, as you mentioned, Bullock, right? It's not like we're having the biggest, you know, most righteous people of the Jews having Parshios named after them. So, you know... And yeah, take it even further. I mean, Jethro was, uh, was like the Pope. He was like the head... Okay, in those days was idol worship. He was the head idol worship serving guy. He had like a... I don't know if it was a library or... You came into his store, business, whatever it was. You needed rain. Rain God is how you serve the rain God. You needed, you needed children. You, you had to talk to the children God. These are the sacrifices. This is how you do it. I mean, he was the leader. He was like the Pope. He really was. He was the leader of the religion. So, great, he joins the Jewish people. He's the first true convert. But, and that's really leading into the answer. But why, why does the, whoever named the Torah portions? In other words, the, that's a question oh, in itself, right? Who named the Torah portions? Right, who and split how? them up? The Bible talks about it a lot. Okay. Who split them? Why they gave the names? So, somewhere in history, and other words, when Moses came down with the two tablets, he didn't break up the Torah portions. He didn't give names to the Torah portions, but wherever, whenever they officially got broken up, and where they're broken up is, is again, there's a lot of Bibanels about it, others talk about it, but why call this Torah portion Jethro? So I saw a very fascinating answer. So he says that the whole Torah portion is talking about receiving the Torah. And people could think that, oh, you're Jewish, you have the Torah. But if you're not Jewish, then the Torah is not for you. Right. So maybe the Torah is pointing out that the Torah is universal. Anybody who wants could please come and take it. Now, you're going to want to study it. You're going to need a rabbi to tell you what's going on. You can't just, it's a little hard to open up a book somewhere. I keep getting somebody on Facebook. Why? He's, 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 calling, <clears throat> he's calling me. I have no idea. But uh, he wants me to help him, I think, convert. I'm not sure because I looked on his page and he has a lot of people helping him. But he seems to be saying, I'm the only one. I, I'm not sure. I'll... Maybe figure it out, maybe I won't. Meaning he feels like he's alone in he, converting, you mean? I believe so, yeah. A... He doesn't know how to do it. There's, it's gotta, it can't be that hard. If you find your local Orthodox rabbi, he gets you connected to a local court, 
and they go through the process. Actually, in a couple of weeks, I have a guy coming in who converted in England. So he went through the whole process. I learned a lot asking him how the process went. Very interesting fellow. Um, that will be my first attempt at Skype on the show. That should be uh, interesting. Hmm. But we have the capability. We have the technology. Someone famous said that. But in any case, so by naming the Torah portion Jethro, the Torah is telling you anybody who wants to come get the Torah, come and get it. You do not have to be born Jewish. You don't have to be a great scholar. You could even be like Jethro, like the Pope. You want to come? You want Torah? Come and get it. So very and that's, you know, that's certainly true. It's interesting, though, that I guess you know, people who are looking to convert probably feel at a major disadvantage. It's one thing to say, yeah, you can come take, you know, have the Torah, but we're going to put you at a major disadvantage. You've got to go a long way to get yourself here, whereas a Jew was born into it. Right, but there's, there's a reason for that. Now, it's, it's true to be fair that if I'm born Jewish, then that's it. I'm Jewish. There's no, I can't change my mind. I can't, you can't baptize me and take me out. It's no backsies. But it comes with a lot of responsibility. So someone who wants to convert, so as far as the Torah is concerned, a person who's not Jewish has the seven Noahide laws. Right. I'm not saying simple, not simple, nothing major. But seven basic laws. No idol worship, no murder, no stealing, no, no uh, marrying a lady who's married, um, no cursing God. There's a few basic of the seven Noahide laws. But you want to join the Jewish people, so it comes with a lot of rules and regulations. And it, it's not where you get to say, well, I'll try it out and see how it goes. Because if, you know, if you go to a catalog or something, a mail-order conversion, and then you decide you didn't know what you were in for, so now it's too late. So God doesn't want to put somebody in a position to say that, oh, you, you decided to be Jewish, that's it, we got you. It, by other religions, by the way, it is interesting. They would forcibly convert you, and then if you tried to walk away, they killed you. That you have throughout the right, Middle back Ages. In the day, right. That's how the, those religions uh, grew, but uh, that's not the conversation. But to understand, for someone to convert, it's a big deal. And it's a long process because we really want the person to understand, he or she, what they're getting into. That it comes with a lot of responsibilities and a lot of rules and regulations. And if they want, I mean, it's, I think it's 30 times, 32 times. How many times do they have to love the convert? You remember offhand? I don't know offhand. Me neither. I'm guessing 32. But many, many verses in the Torah talk about loving the convert, which also gets involved in this week's Torah portion when Jethro wants to go back home, whether he's converting his family, whether he, uh, whether he can't be there when the Torah is given. There's all different kinds of, uh, of explanations, but that's certainly not what we're going to deal with now. But there's something that, again, we talk about conversion, talk about taking responsibilities, all things that you're teaching children all the time about that – that or families, you have responsibilities, this is what you have to do. You don't get to say, well, I don't want this one. I mean, they right. try that, huh? Right, there's no way to say, yeah, I don't want that responsibility. And it comes, you know, unfortunately into question, you know, orthodox clients, you know, whenever you're suffering from something in life, Judaism takes the first blow. Meaning it's like, okay, I don't want to be orthodox anymore. And... Well, I completely understand that it's, you know, it's more of the challenge behind it that you want to look at and say, you know, okay, think what you want about Judaism, but let's talk about what's really hurting you, you know, and that seems to help. Which is really, I mean, it must be, I mean, 
when you go home after a long day or evening and you're, you're listening to people who are in pain and you're trying to discover their pain and for all I know, you're feeling their pain, how do you go home and just like turn it off? Like, I don't know, you want to go home and talk to your wife about all the, all the, all the garbage that, that you had to hear thrown at you? Yeah, home is supposed to be safe. Like, right, right. And there's, of course, the confidentiality aspect of it. That, 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 working that, right. with the Orthodox community, and she might be able to figure out who that is, so can't even say anything. So, you know, without trying to sound, you know, callous at all, it's sort of a soldier mentality. You know, when a soldier is in the war and they have to do the battle, everything else shuts off except for their mission. And... Well, of course they care, and they have feelings, but they have their mission. So in a sense, so there's a question, you know, during therapy itself, you know, you'd like to cry about someone's problem. It's not often helpful <laughs> for me to cry, you know, but there's a way to kind, of, to kind of shut it off, to kind of, you know, focus on your mission. And, you know, when I get home, so... There's some effect, and there's definitely there's training during schooling about how to deal with that. But I guess, and then I asked this question to a rabbi once who also the entire day hears terrible, terrible problems, and I asked him, you know, how do you, how do you live with that? And he said, first of all, I focus on the privilege that I have of being able to help people, and that makes me very happy. And I've also been blessed with a lot of simchas achayim, a lot of joy of life. And thank God I can say that I really have a joy of life and I can just I can focus on what's happy and say things are sad but things are also very very happy and that gets me through it wow amazing because I, I wasn't even thinking about it till till just now but I mean we all have jobs and most people try not to take their job home with them but as teachers we do take our jobs home I, I do get phone calls from parents at night I do have different you know, plans and stuff and how I'm going to work with somebody but in your situation, you, you, you really need that ability or tools, I guess. Yeah. Or to have a counselor for the counselor. To, it's, you know, it's true that it happens a lot. You know, you go to a supervisor for counseling because you really need help, you know, trying to, to care without letting it affect you, you know. Uh, it's funny that you'll find that therapists go on vacation more often than any other career. You try to get to a therapist, they're always on vacation. That's where they are. And they say it's because it, it does take a lot emotionally out of you. And, you know, and therefore they go on vacation. Unbelievable. And we're, we're uh, getting close to our break. But when we come back, um, we really need to discuss. Now, this is a great big word. I don't know too many big words. But the seminal event <laughs> for the Jewish people is this week's Torah portion. And that's God speaking to millions of people. It has only happened once in history. To my knowledge, it's not supposed to happen again. And that's something you speak to people. I just spoke to somebody recently. The Kuzari talks about it. Ben talks about it. That the seminal event that God was, was willing, not well, for, on our side, Abel, which we'll talk about, um, to talk to millions of people that we could all say, we couldn't handle it, but we could all say that God spoke to us. That created the Jewish people, that created the strength in the Jewish religion that's lasted these uh, thousands and thousands of years. And again, here comes my music. So please hold through the, back, through the break. I'm with Chesky Finkelstein. You're listening to Rabbi Tzuyan. Let's talk Torah, and we'll be right back. 
I'm Jackie Cowan. With Dr. Mark Berkowitz. We all accumulate so many products. They probably dry it yeah. out if I open the jars. You can't miss the team member with Medicare. You're a critical part of the team. Yeah. But I don't eat the yolks. That's yeah. not really helping them diet, is it? They're, they're not getting anything out of it. It goes right through. With these relatively small steps, it becomes a lot easier over time to make major lifestyle changes. Put your arms out if you want to. Whoa! Nice! Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Yase shalom, yase shalom, shalom and we're back. And we were discussing something that I, I can't get away with uh, not discussing it. And that for those who are familiar with the famous Kuzari of Yudha Levi, um, he wrote a, a, a philosophical uh, book. Um, and it was really to build up the, the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. And it talks about the country called Kuzar. If it was a real country, if it wasn't a real country, it seems to be it would have been part of Russia by the Crimean Sea. And the king there had dreams that he wanted to discover. He was an idol worshiper, wanted to discover the real religion. And he has a conversation. He discusses with a, with, a, with a Christian leader and with a Muslim imam and even with a philosopher. And the king keeps hearing over the same lesson from all these people that... Uh, that God spoke to their, their, their Savior, and it was a private conversation, and, but we know that there's a God because he spoke to millions of Jews, you know, at an earlier period in history. So the king actually goes out and says, well, you know, if I'm trying to figure out what religion I want, then let me go back to the source. Let me get a rabbi in here and have a discussion. So that all, again, if the story is true, if it's just a way of writing uh, um, philosophy, that's debatable yeah. if there's really such a story. But in any case, you have this amazing event. The Jewish people go to Moses and they say, we don't just want God to talk to you, we want God to talk to us. So God says, fine, prepare yourself for three days. Whether it was two days or three days, again, it's debatable. And the Jewish people are prepared and ready. God says one word and all their souls go flying out. 
and the angels have to come and bring the souls back into them. And this goes on throughout the first two of the Ten Commandments, the first two, that I'm God and no idol worship. Finally, the Jewish people, I guess, I, I don't have experience on this one, but I guess having your soul ripped out of you and put back in and ripped down and put back in is probably not such a comfortable feeling. It would make you a believer. Oh, it would make you a believer, right? That's, That's for sure. sure. Oh, yeah. No, no question on that one. So, um, so, but the fact of the matter is that God spoke to millions of people. And the, the biggest, largest religions in the world do not argue this fact. They have their own reasons why they believe that uh, God wanted to talk to them. He spoke to, to whichever of their leaders, Muhammad, to Jesus privately. And uh, we feel if God wanted to change his mind, he'd come back and tell us the same way he told us he wanted us. So come back and tell millions of us that you've changed your mind. That's right. the That's basic sure. gist of the conversation. So as an interesting thought... So uh, it's not like God didn't know we couldn't handle it. In other words, the holiness of God talking to us, um, our souls had to leave. The only person who could handle ever God talking straight is Moses. Moses is the only one that can handle God talking to him, and his soul stays where it is because his body probably wasn't much of a body. It was probably all spiritual anyways. Yeah. But um, we couldn't handle it, and it's not like God didn't know we couldn't handle it. And I don't think God needs to teach me a lesson to say, see— I told you you couldn't do it, right? Again, a counselor thing, right? Uh, I told you you couldn't do it. You don't want to believe me? I'll show you. So what was the point? Why does God need to demonstrate that I cannot handle um, God talking to me? Well, is the question, why did he actually speak to them as they asked? Why didn't he just say to them, you're not going to be able to handle it? Is that what the question is? Perhaps. You know, if I was, well, I'm a Jew. I would be stubborn and say, I want to hear it anyway. You know, if that happens, it happens. But I want to hear it anyway. And that, I think, is really what they talk about as the Jews being stiff-necked people, that they're not willing to say, okay, Moses is the leader. He'll take care of it. No, I want to hear it myself, straight from God. And... You think, you, know, about, you think about this stiff-necked idea, or stubborn is a better word, yeah. um, when you're counseling? Like, sometimes you <laughs> want to take that child or parent and say, you are stubborn. And then you want to say, yeah, yeah, you're, we, we are stubborn, and there's a lot of benefits to that. It doesn't help when they need counseling. Yeah, with the right relationship, you can say anything, you know. And they know they're stubborn, and you can say it. The, the funny thing is, the stubbornness I find the most is that parents and teachers and excuse me, but rabbis also always think that they know exactly how to counsel. Of course I know how to counsel. I am multi-talented. Exactly. Why wouldn't I know and how to counsel? And they'll say to me, I'm sending you this child. I want you to do this, this, and this with him. And this is how it should happen. And I'll say, okay, okay. But um, See, my wife would love how you talk. You can say, yeah, yeah, but you're clueless, and I'm not going to tell you you're <laughs> clueless. I'll take care of the child, and we'll be in communication. And I'll, I'll make sure you think I'm doing exactly what you asked because we're clueless. Well, yeah, and, the and, I, and I try to, you know, I try to make it clear, you know, in the process of what's happening different, you know, because this way they'll come eventually with, uh, you know, a taina on me, a claim on me that, well, you didn't do this or you said this. And and I have to explain, you know, this is how it works. This is why we have to say this. This is why it has to be like that. So there's a stubbornness in that in that sense. But uh, but yeah. Uh, probably all of us have stubbornness. I'm sure it's not just the Jews. No, we're very stubborn. 
Ask my wife. No, don't ask her. <laughs> ask my kids. But in any case, um, so again, so we're talking about a seminal event. So God is speaking to us. So first things first, it, it, just in the picture, I, I, I try to get it clear. Originally, God tells Moses, I'm going to talk to you in a cloud. The Jewish people will see I'm talking to you in a cloud. And, uh, and they'll know that I'm talking to you. They'll watch. They won't hear. And the people say, no, we want God to talk to us. So you got to wonder that it should have been part of the plan. I don't mean should have. I mean it was part of the plan. In other words, for God to just go ahead and speak to all of us really is of no value because we can't handle it. So what are you speaking to me? You're just killing me. What are you bothering for? The only way we would be partially prepared to, to listen to God is to stand up and say, God, I want you to talk to me. You can't handle it? Too bad. But once I stand up and say, God, I want you to talk to me, that will change the whole relationship. The whole receiving of the Torah becomes a whole different process, which I think is, is, is the plan, how God wanted it, how he wanted it to work. And that's what happened because I really wanted to get to the next point. Because Moses, at the end of the Torah portion, actually says to the, uh, to the Jewish people, he says, look, God knew you couldn't handle this. So why did he want to speak to you? Because he wanted to uplift you. If you could say, God spoke to me, you now have a totally different relationship with God. And now when somebody wants you to not be Jewish, somebody wants you to do something that's inappropriate, you go ahead and say, me? I can't go ahead and rebel against God. God, talk to me. Hey, you we didn't talk to, so you, you don't care about me. How could I go ahead? Right? That concept of uplifting. Right? Lots of things. I love all my lead-ins to counseling. Do you manage to uplift children or you just want them to uplift them? We talked about that really before. A little bit before, right. So it's not so much uplifting as, I guess, more of a... A rebbe or a rabbi might do, which is kind of giving what we call chizik, you know, uplifting someone, encouraging them. So that's something that I leave for the rabbis. My job is much more empowering the client to realize what their strength is to do it for themselves and, you know, uplift themselves in a way. Um, It's interesting, though, you were saying something about how God wanted it to be. The plan was that the Jews should ask to hear him. Right. right? And it sounds like you were saying it's because when they ask, so their holiness increases once they ask for the relationship. I don't think that the holiness increases, but you now have, it's almost like you have skin in the game. In other words, you now are, 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 are taking responsibility. You're going to have to make yourself holier. That's true. But you're doing something to almost deserve God to talk to you. But okay, now that I interrupted you. But and I think that's more like how I was, I was thinking as well. That that's, that's what made them deserve it. No, no human just deserves to hear from God straight. But if you want it that badly that you're willing to die for it, which I expect they realized something like that would happen, yeah, it's interesting to think about. I'm not sure, but yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, it did happen again. After a couple of times, they did ask, okay, you know, we can't handle this anymore. But they did go through a couple different deaths, however you understand that kind of death, because they really, really wanted it. And that itself is what made God want to give it to them. Excellent. And with my few minutes left to our next break, as time is flying... And I'm taking advantage fully of Chesky's knowledge of counseling. The end of the Torah portion, when we, after we receive the Ten Commandments, and we're not going to get through them today. I wanted to, but, you know, that means my show is longer. And then uh, 
And then that's I'm, okay with me. Yeah, may not be okay with all the people in the studio that'll have to be here until twelve o'clock tonight. But in any case, the end of the Torah portion talks about the altar. The Mizbeach, there is an altar where sacrifices are burnt, uh, first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. So the, the altar in the tabernacle was really four big pieces of wood, um, hollowed inside, filled up with dirt. And when they traveled, they lifted it up and left the dirt behind. When they got to the temple, the, the altar was made of stone. Now it had to be made of a perfectly smooth stone. It really had to be some type of cement almost. They had to get smooth, smooth stones and make some type of cement mixture because you were not allowed to use metal to, to file down the stone. No metal was allowed to be used on that altar. Now, some will say maybe outside of the temple it was, not inside the temple. That's fine. That's a discussion for another day. So the Talmud wants to know, like, why not? Like, what's the big deal if I, I mean, you always use metal to, to smooth things down. What's wrong with that? It's very normal. So, so Rashi uh, quotes the, the Talmud, uh, it's really a medrash, that the altar is a symbol of peace. It says when people get divorced, we're not discussing when it has to happen, it has to happen. But the, the, the medrash says when a person gets divorced, the temple, the, the altar cries. And a, so the, that means the altar is a sign of peace. While a sword or something of metal is a sign of war and destruction. And we don't want that combination. It's not a good combination. We want peace. We always want peace. It doesn't always work. But we want peace, and we don't want to combine it with that metal because those two things um, just, just don't uh, fit well. And in about a minute and a half, Chesky, because we're almost up to that next break, we're flying. Oh, I actually have two and a half minutes. I'm sorry. So you have longer. So uh, I just wanted your, your feelings, this idea of tears and crying and peace connected with war and fighting. Because I know, again, in counseling, it's not just children. It's obviously um, um, helping people that are having some situations in their, in their married life. Yeah, for sure. You know, relationships is a huge part of our lives. So relationships, families, and then, of course, couples you know, will come as well for counseling. So the, uh, the mezbeach, the altar, as you were saying, you know, you don't want to use a tool on it that's abrasive, that's a, also the kind of tool you can use for war and for hurting. And, you know, all of us want nothing more than to have shalom in our lives. The Torah talks about how shalom, how peace is an overarching idea for everything we, we do. So, so what do we do? You know, a marriage, we all want it to work out. I kind of start in counseling, I start with the, the strength that we have. As, as Jews and as, you know, other religious people have a very strong um, idea of what marriage is and how important it is. Jews come in with a strong sense of marriage is important, our relationship is important, it's not just about are we having fun or not. And therefore they're very set on working for it. And if you're set on working for it, in, mo- in a lot of cases, it can be worked out. Not every case, obviously, but when you're coming willing to work and willing to give up and willing to, to give to the marriage, that puts you in a much better position to work on the marriage. Cool. And I was so hoping that, like, in a minute and a half, you could give a full counseling session and just fix all the marriages. So it takes longer than a, a two-minute Well, maybe little... after the break, I'll fix everyone's marriages. After the break, we'll yeah. fix everyone's marriages. No, but yes, because we only have about uh, 30 seconds as my screen is playing around over here. Uh, but I'll just throw in uh, one of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath. We talked about it. Just the beauty of Sabbath to turn off. 
In other words, I, I saw these cute little uh, video clips, and here comes my music. People looking at their cell phones all day, not talking to the kids, not talking to the spouse, by their meals at night. They're, they're not talking to anybody. They're busy with their phones. But Sabbath comes, and it's complete rest, complete tuned out. Hang out with the kids. Maybe we'll get to this one. Come back from the break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Hold through the break with Rabbi Tzin. We'll be right back. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a five-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. It's not science fiction, it's science fact. Tiny robots crawling through your body helping doctors to identify disease and perform operations. The tools are known as snake bots and they carry tiny cameras, scissors, and forceps. For now, these snake bots have to be controlled by humans and they remain attached to tethers. But we're not far from the day when the machines will cut the tether for good and be allowed to roam your body on their own in damaged organs. Now already the tethered snake bots have proven extremely useful and they make it possible to conduct previously invasive surgery in ways that were never thought possible just a few years ago. So imagine, for example, a heart bypass operation that does not require a major incision in your chest and the opening up of your ribcage. Now these things are being made possible today and will in the not too distant future become the rule rather than the exception when it comes to major surgeries. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. I didn't know it was possible to change my state of mind. Smile and watch the whole world. And we're back. And we are having technical difficulties with uh, Rabbi Jonas and Goldson coming through. So while we're working on Rabbi Goldson, Kelsey, you ready for my poster? Let's get that poster up. We're up to our 10th letter of the Jewish alphabet. That is the letter Yoda, teeny little letter. Um, some say just putting a little dot down qualifies. I just heard a story with, um, with a great rabbi that when he would write a letter in a Torah scroll, he always wanted that letter because that's, you know, I don't know how to write all the fancy letters, but that letter I can get away with writing. So in any case, uh, the numerical value is 10, which of course is the perfect week because we are in the week of the Ten Commandments. So the Yud equals 10, 10 commandments, can't do better than that. Um, and I always teach a, a word. Every week I have a new word. And this week I wanted the word yad. A yad is a hand. And, uh, and, uh, and I think one of the things that uh, we're working on this week is we're talking, of course, to Chesky. We're talking about hands. We're talking about um, a hand. And when I think of a hand, I always think of, of, a, of a hand up, that we, that we want to help people, counseling, all these other things, our goal is to, is to help people. So that Yud, which stands for the word Yad, um, that's, we good? Oh, I got my thumbs. So uh, 
We are now joined by Yanison Goldson. Yanison, how are you? Yanison, how are you? I am well, the bird tree. How are you? There you go. He was a drop below. You hear you heard that, Tony? Okay, good. So um, you put so many things on LinkedIn this week. I read that whole long um, dystopian. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah. I, of course, I never read it, but since you suggested it, I have no idea what you're talking about today. But so many different topics. I'm looking forward. Yanison, the clock is ticking. Go for it. All right. Well, if you haven't been living under a rock, you know that the United States is in the midst of the longest government shutdown in history with little light at the end of the tunnel. 800,000 federal employees are trying to survive without their paychecks, and a variety of government services are curtailed or suspended. Needless to say, the larger the bureaucracy, the more devastating the consequences when it stops working. What's fascinating to note is that we find the creation of bureaucracy in this week's Torah portion. After the exodus from Egypt, the Jews had to learn from scratch how to serve Hashem. Of course, Moses taught them the law, but they had many questions, so Jews stood in line often all day long to ask Moses what they were supposed to do. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, witnessed this, and he was appalled. This wasn't good for the people or for Moses, he observed. And then he offered an alternate plan. Appoint officers and judges, he said. Let the people bring their problems to local leaders, then to regional leaders, then to tribal leaders. When the questions are so profound that only Moses can answer them, then the people can come before Moses himself. This truly was a more efficient system. Moses proposed to the people, asked permission from Hashem, and with universal approval, the plan was put into action. Forty years later, when Moses makes his farewell address, he rebukes the people for accepting his father-in-law's proposal. But if it was such a good plan at the time, why does Moses chastise the people later for going along with it? Just because something is efficient doesn't make it good. If you had a chance to meet the president, wouldn't you rather stand in line all day than have a video chat with the assistant to the president's press, press secretary? How much more so for the greatest prophet and emissary of the Almighty in history? Jethro's plan was good because it was efficient, but the people should have seen that they would lose more than they stood to gain by no longer having access to Moses himself. In our age of cell phones and fast food and instant everything, it's important for us to remember that the most valuable gifts in life don't come without effort and patience. In fact, it's the effort and patience that make us appreciate what's truly valuable. May we all enjoy a very good Shabbos. Yanison, thank you as always. Have a great Shabbos. Good Shabbos to you. Okay. So uh, we're talking about, uh, sadly, we have a few minutes left. So um, I-, I have a friend, he's not religious, but he actually keeps the Sabbath. And his reason is, he says, he has to turn off. He has to get rid of all the electronics. His kids, his family, his wife, they sit around the table. They talk, can you imagine, um, around the table. Um, and that's one of the beauties of the Sabbath, that it, it, it forces us to be family. It's like, it's like you couldn't have given me a greater gift to make sure I hang out with my family. So... You, I got about a minute and a half where I, I can let you comment on that last thought. <laughs> yeah, that sort of environment, the family environment where there's opportunities to be together and focus on each other is so therapeutic for the family. You know, one, one of the first things I suggest to a family who's having trouble is make a time during the week where it's just about you guys. There's no complaining to each other. There's no yelling at each other. It's just about let's enjoy our time together. And, and no cell phones, I hope. 
and, and no cell phones. And, and you, know, you know, Sabbath is just one more way that you see God putting into the Torah things that we really need to survive as Jews. You know, and we really need that. And I've heard from a lot of people who work very hard. They never really appreciated Shabbos, Sabbath, until they started working the way they do. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing, amazing. With a few seconds left, if somebody wanted to contact you, to have a discussion with you, to have a consultation with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, we'll start with my website, www.sensiblecounseling.com. Sensiblecounseling.com. Can't be too hard to spell. Just Google it. Yep, regular spelling. Google it. There's information on there how to get to me, and we'll be happy to try to help you out. I take insurance. I'm reasonable with cash rates, and or even just basic questions through email. I'll do the best I can, and thank you for listening. Oh, amazing. So check out Chesky. He's amazing. I am so happy you came to join us today. My day is ending. Time for all the thank yous. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. Lots of people here today. Tony, Kelsey, Zach, Angel. Ethan, I think, is here somewhere. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sue Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk to our new radio media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.